coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. We're joined by Will Edmonds, who has, you're like a Swiss army knife of uh, occupations. It's a uh, Kennesaw State professor, got mm-hmm. that right. Uh, you've done some reporting for CNN Sports, right? Yeah, that's my full-time job. I'm a producer at CNN Sports. I produce a sports show daily from CNN International. All that's right, the we, main job. We can talk sports. All right, <laughs> I like that. And also, the voice and the face of Anecdotal Atlanta, which you see on Instagram, TikTok, any other social media that I'm missing out on? Well, as, as, right, now, as of right now, that's where it is. We're launching on YouTube shortly, but mm-hmm. they have some different parameters. They're... Um, they're very strict on one minute, mm-hmm. and a lot of our stories are one minute three, one minute seven, so I'm going uh, through and I'm having to re-edit, and it's a kind of a nightmare. I get it. Yeah. I do that every day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> every day, 44 minutes in yeah. four segments. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us. Uh, your, uh, your work on social media caught my eye. And by the way, how are you going to do that on YouTube when you're doing you know, horizontal versus ver- so, vertical so shooting? Shorts is a vertical medium of oh, one okay. minute. So yeah, this is, this is a new thing on YouTube, but it's very strictly one minute vertical... Um, for phones and whatnot. Are they trying to get into the game with Instagram and TikTok? I think so. I think it's on? the same sort of thing, except yeah. for they're just being more strict with time. And so we are, you know, re-editing and redesigning the sort of uh, look for that right now. Okay. So for those who don't know, uh, stumble onto it if you want uh, on TikTok or Instagram, Anecdotal Atlanta. Uh, so far, I think you have uh, more than 40 shorts that talk about some nice little historic nuggets about the city of Atlanta. Uh, trying to think, the one that caught my eye was probably the the Beatles. Uh, the you did you did a story about the Beatles playing at the old Atlanta Stadium, Atlanta Fulton County Stadium, where Georgia State now is going to build a baseball park for their college program. By the way, um, but you you talked about how changed music industry. It right? really yeah, did. Duke, yeah, Duke Mewborn, yeah, yeah, a local uh, hi-fi salesman. Yeah, at the time, the Beatles. Um, when they played live, they couldn't really hear themselves out there. So it wasn't a great show. Live music in stadiums, in, in stadia, was in its infancy. Mm-hmm. And this guy, Duke Mewborn, he was a local hi-fi salesman, he brought in a, a couple of monitor speakers, put them on the stage facing the Beatles. And it's great. We actually have audio recording from that uh, concert where he said, wow, well, Paul McCartney goes, wow, this sounds great. I yeah. can hear myself. Yeah. And from that moment on, you know, how live music was performed all over the world changed, again, because of Atlanta. How about that? Now, were monitors not existing on stages beforehand? Um, to my understanding, in that, you know, to, the Beatles were sort of one of the first bands to perform in front of tens of thousands. You know, sure. no one had performed in baseball theaters, in, yeah. you know, in baseball stadiums, in, in football stadiums. That was new in the 60s. Uh-huh. So, um, yeah, I guess when you're performing in a room, it's not that big a deal. You hear what they hear. You know, you're sure. not that far from your audience, but when you're 500 meters away. See, and that's a, that's a cool little anecdote, not just about Atlanta, but something about the music industry that I wasn't aware of. I thought monitors always existed that, you know, you, you would see these small, those small speakers that you see facing the artist on stage that basically took root right here in Atlanta. How about yeah. that? Uh, what is your favorite anecdote that you have shared on uh, Anecdotal Atlanta? Do you know, I, I had a feeling you were going to ask me this, so I had to think of this earlier. My favorite, it is a sports one, okay. because um, I, I find that so many big things, like you know the Beatles and whatnot, so many big things and big names seem to have turning points in Atlanta, and it's Muhammad Ali. 
Muhammad okay. Ali, when he was uh, when he refused to go fight in Vietnam, was stripped of his titles and his belt, banned from boxing all over the country, mm-hmm. couldn't get a license. All of the different state uh, boxing commissions denied him. But a local politician in Atlanta, whose name escapes me right now, he uh, Johnson, I think he. Uh, he realized that because Georgia didn't have a state boxing commission, mm. the city of Atlanta could issue a, a license to fight. And so in 19, I think, 72 it was, or 73, a few years after, you know, three years after he'd been banned, uh, Muhammad Ali fought Jerry Quarry in now what is one of Georgia State University's uh, buildings. Mm-hmm. Uh, he won that fight, and then because of that, it got a lot of attention, and other states were like, okay, we want a piece of that, and it opened up, and then, you know, Three or four years later, it's the Rumble in the Jungle, and now Muhammad Ali, you know, greatest fighter in history. But he might have been sort of just a forgotten, you know, previous champion had it not been for Atlanta. Giving him the opportunity to kind of continue his boxing career. And I feel like there's just so many stories I kept finding that, like, wow, Atlanta was really important that this happened here, this happened here. And, uh, yeah, I've just been loving collecting these and sharing them. It's really interesting to talk about that when you, th- you, you talk about how Atlanta is sort of a, uh, an intersection of sorts for folks uh, in their lives and where their paths take them. And that's sort of what Atlanta is known for, being an intersection of sorts for the uh, interstate system. The Atlanta airport, of course, everybody talks about having a layover in Atlanta to get just about anywhere. And you even have an airport story that I remember. Uh, it had something to do with... Uh, t- uh, fly- flying yeah. in a race car or something like that? So, so th- this... That story was really important in the development of uh, what I wanted this project to be. I wanted it to be more than just history. I wanted to really pinpoint on interesting stories within history. Mm -hmm. And so I had known for years that Atlanta uh, Airport used to be a racetrack owned by the Candler family. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people knew that it was a racetrack. It wasn't particularly successful. Uh, They sold it to the local aviation commission that turned it into a runway, and that eventually became the airport we know today. And that's cool, and that's a great bit of history, but I didn't feel like there was enough to it. So I kept reading and kept reading, and I came across this fantastic story. Um, Early on there, they had um, a race car driver called Ralph De Palma, who actually went on to, I believe, win the Indy 500 years later. I think um, you mentioned that, yeah. Yeah, and he um, he did an exhibition race against a young, oh, I say young, an aviator, you know, aviation was in his infancy, against a guy called Charles the Birdman Hamilton. So on the one hand, <laughs> the you've name. got this one, oh, it's great. On the one hand, you've got this guy who was like a serious race car driver in the Hall of Fame mm-hmm. for, for racing. And he flew and he raced around this track against an airplane, which... I can't quite tell if the airplane was above him, around him, on the track, but they, uh-huh. the airplane, I assume it was just above him. Um, and this guy, Charles the Birdman Hamilton, had the opposite reputation. He was known for always being drunk, always having a cigarette. He crashed his plane over 60 times, but apparently just walked out every time. Like He was this sort of like, <laughs> you know, cartoonish character. Reminds me of the guy from uh, Independence Day. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. And um, they had this race, and the Fiat won, the, the Ralph De Palma won this race. And so I was like, that's perfect, where it's like, Okay, I know it was a racetrack, but was there an interesting race? Mm-hmm. And that's when I had the, you know, the idea, and it turned out that I showed my, my age and my nationality, because I remember this cartoon when I was young, which I believe was an American cartoon from the 60s called Wacky Racist. Have you ever heard of it? And I found that no one in this country has heard of it. Uh-uh. It was Dastardly and Muttley, ever heard of them? Uh-huh. Uh, that's a shame. So I kind of used that as the theme, because it was sort of this cartoon from the 60s where, yeah. you know, they raced in funny things, and sometimes there was hot air balloons and cars and things coming out. But I, it, I soon learned that nobody got that reference. I didn't get the reference, but it felt uh, when I when I remember seeing the, the cartoon. And by the way, who did the? Did you do some of the animation? Or? Yeah, 
I do everything. My God. Again, a Swiss Army knife. We're with Will Edmonds joining us from Anecdotal Atlanta. I had to learn a the university professor. Did you really? Yeah. So, so actually, it's an interesting story how that, how that became. If you, if I can sure, go right ahead. We got 44 minutes, remember? <laughs> so early on, well, I, let me just tell you the story how this became. Okay. And it goes into that. So I've always been into um, history, local history, American history. I moved here in 2001. Mm. And I just sort of absorbing it and soaking it up. And I was doing a walking tour of downtown Atlanta and it, it wasn't great. I've taken lots of walking tours. Typically, they're very interesting. But the tour guide in this instance wasn't much of a storyteller. It was very much just like reading all the facts about mm -hmm. everything. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't really engaging anyone. However, there was this um, older guy on the tour. I guess he would be in his 80s. And he kept chipping in with little stories. And yeah. I can remember two of them. One, he said about this one building. Uh, it's a Marriott Renaissance now downtown opposite the Candler building. I can't remember what it was called then. And he said, back in the 70s, I was in law school in this building when they were building the Martyr. And at night, they'd be doing explosions, you know, to like, to, to drill out the uh, the line. And he said, so we had to tie all of our tables and chairs together because if they did an explosion, the chair would fly through the window onto the street. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's so interesting. <laughs> And the second story was about the Candler building where he said... Yeah, um, the facade, right? The facade. He goes, you know, those beams right there are fake. You know, when they first built that in 1906, the building was so tall at, what, 13, 17 stories, that everyone thought it was going to collapse. So the, they built these uh, buttresses on the side to make people think it, the building was more secure, but they're just stuck on there. They yeah. mean nothing. And so he told me these stories, and that's when it clicked to me. I was like, wow, what if history was that mm -hmm. what if you got rid of everything that the tour guide's saying mm -hmm. which i remember nothing of right and just stuck to the little anecdotes and it went off in my head i was like oh my god that would be so good on social media if you could just boil down history to the one interesting story the one thing that you say hey did you know mm -hmm. or that was a cool thing about this the thing you remember the thing you share when you see somewhere and instantly in my head, I was like, anecdotal Atlanta. I was like, perfect. Now, I know anecdotal is a problematic word that most people can't spell and maybe would very rarely use it, but it's the perfect word because it also allows you to have a bit of freedom with like single source stories or mm -hmm. personal anecdotes and whatnot. Um, and I forget what we were getting into. What well, was I saying? We I was were talking about how you, you were able to, to put together the animation for oh, the, the story animation. you oh, did right, about right. the so, airport so, race. Right, so that's it. So, well, it, the um, early on, as I started uh, writing down a few stories that I'd already learned from, I had all these books and I went back into all my books and I started just putting them all on maps. Every story I had, I, I had this uh, digital map with tons of pins, there's like 200 of them. And if you hit the pin, it says the book and the page or if there's multiple sources for this okay. story. And one of the first stories I wanted to do was this old Ferris wheel that was downtown. The very first Ferris wheel in America was in Atlanta. Really? Before Chicago. Didn't know it that. A, it was this French guy called Anti uh, uh, Antonio Marquino. I hope that's right. Forgive me if it's wrong. And he built this wooden um, Ferris wheel downtown, according to several different books that had this. But as I started writing the story, and as I realized, well, what's this going to look like? I realized there was no maps of, the, of, of him. It, there was no pictures. There, there was no map showing it. Sure. There was nothing visual whatsoever. And I was like, oh, how am I going to tell the story? I'm going to just walk around the area and talk about it. I'm like, I don't really want to do that. And I thought, oh, that would be a cool animation. So I got on YouTube and I started watching tutorials on how to do it and how to... YouTube teaches you everything. It teaches you everything. And I learned how to build this little theme park and do all these things and animate <laughs> this wheel. And it looked really cool. And, uh, and that's when I realized, oh, this is, this is an editing project. This is... I can, I can do whatever I want with this. Some, I, you know, like the story I'm releasing tomorrow, it's mostly video that we've shot ourselves because this place still exists. Okay. Um, if there are pictures of the person, that's great. If there's video footage, great. 
but as anyone that spent time in Atlanta knows, most old things are gone. Yeah. You know, most buildings have been flattened and mm-hmm. and whatnot. But that's when I realized, yeah, I need to learn animation. And, and so, you know, when it came to the airport story, I use that. But it's kind of, it's that's the fun part, trying to work out. The, there's no theme in terms of how these look. They all look very different. But, you know, it's the one minute interesting story is the crux. So much more to learn from Will Edmonds, who is joining us from Anecdotal Atlanta. You can find Anecdotal Atlanta on TikTok and on Instagram as well. Uh, you guys are going to the, the new YouTube platform at some point in time. Yeah, that that will probably be su- this week, actually. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, I, obviously, I'm going to have to uh, take a break real quick and then come back and ask you some more questions, like some projects that you're working on that we can look forward to. Maybe you can prime the pump a little bit and get us excited about that. And uh, a little bit more about you yourself. Again, working for CNN, uh, covering uh, international sports, as well as being a Kennesaw State, how you wound up in it. So I've got a lot more to ask you, give you a chance to wet your whistle. I've got a text to answer, and we've got a break to take here on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com. This is The Ron Show. Welcome back to The Ron Show. We are joined by Will Edmonds, who is... Kennesaw State professor, CNN reporter, <laughs> and of course, uh, the face and voice of Anecdotal Atlanta. I must confess, I think part of the charm of Anecdotal Atlanta, which by the way you find on Instagram and TikTok and heading to a new YouTube platform shortly, is that you have that British voice. Yes. Yeah, I figured you weren't from Sylvania, Georgia. So where are you from originally? I'm from uh, the south coast of England, Brighton. Um, so you're a southerner? Yeah, I'm a southerner. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, exactly. I uh, moved to the U.S. I moved to Nashville in 2001 and then to Atlanta shortly after that. And I've been here, yeah, now most of my life. I've mm. uh, been here God, 22 years or something. Okay. But yeah, it's, uh, it's really interesting. The English voice thing has been, you know, for 20 years, it's been a blessing. Mm-hmm. You know, it opens doors. People typically are very nice. People think you're smarter than you are. They think, you know... <laughs> They're more interesting, you know, you get, it, it's a good thing. And then suddenly I start doing local Atlanta history and you just be blown away with the daily uh, meanness people. Uh, I get, I get um, abusive texts every single day saying, you know, why are you doing this? You know, someone local should be doing this. Um, you are local. I know. And I'm like, <laughs> and they're like, you know, it, it's, it's really interesting. You know, a lot of people saying, you know, why is a white guy from England doing this? I'm like, well, I, you know, that's, I live here and I'm interested in this and I have these stories. I didn't. And, and at first it was really confusing that people were asking sort of, why am I doing it? And what it, I realized is that because the production quality is so high and it looks professional, it doesn't look it like does. someone's personal project. It looks like a production company has hired me to be the voice, which mm-hmm. wouldn't make sense. Mm-hmm. But no, it's just me. It's just, you know, I've been here for 20 years. You know, I've read every book on Atlanta history. I've taken every tour. I've gone in every building I could. I found fascinating. I've accumulated hundreds of stories, which I used to just tell people all the time. Mm-hmm. And then I found this vehicle to sort of do these one minute sort of produce, highly produced videos. And um, yeah, it's it's weird. I now have the wrong voice for the perfect job. <laughs> I disagree completely. And, and the vast majority of people are very complimentary, but no, on a daily basis, people telling me, you know, to sort of go back to where I came from, that I shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> um, the nastiest it got was when the social media account Butter ATL uh-huh. posted one of my videos, and it was about um, Outcast, how they were sort of discovered in a parking lot. Right, I remember that, yeah. And gosh, the, the the abuse I got, and then I got a lot of people coming after me and messaging me on my personally 
um, telling me that I shouldn't be telling black stories, that, you know, that I'm sort of culturally appropriating and stealing things. And I was like, I thought that was really interesting. I was it's like, well, it's history. Yeah, it's just history. And I, I tried to, you know, um, it'd be worse if I just only told stories about right. white people. Yes. And what do I only tell stories about British people here? Like it's, <laughs> it's, I, it, it's mm. something that it, it surprised me and has come along. And I understand, you know, that it's, it's weird that an English person is doing local history. I mm. get that's weird, but this is what I sound like, <laughs> you know, this is, this is who I am. I've, I've lived in Atlanta longer than most people. It's sort of a transient city, right? That's people right. move here. People don't right. And I've been here 20 plus years. I feel like you should get a pin after 10 years and 20 yeah. years, you know? And, um, but no, it's, it's really, it's been, um, hmm. really interesting. Some of the comments and I, and I don't fight back. I, you know, sometimes I'll write back, you know, I've been here 20 years studying local history. I'm, I'm sorry that my voice offends you. Mm. Like I'm, I'm just trying to share interesting stories. Um, I, I would love if someone native from here was doing this already, mm -hmm. then I wouldn't have to do it. Yeah. But it's just something that wasn't being done that I, I love and I want to share these stories. But, but the vast majority, incredibly complimentary. I get sure. nice messages every day, but it's, it was something that as a white male, you're sort of like not uh, prepared to get. It's something I guess you're not aware of mm -hmm. that, that, that like... You, you might be the wrong voice or the wrong face for something. It's quite and, interesting. And, you know, that's something that crosses a lot of spectrums. Uh, I think white rappers had a hard time sure. initially breaking yeah. into that genre. I think politically, if you are uh, perhaps someone not of color in a high-density you know, neighborhood of color and you want to run for city council, you're probably going to fight an uphill battle because... Sure. There, there may seem to be just a visceral disconnect that actually doesn't exist. I, I can get that completely. Yeah. Um, so when you go home to see your, do you still have family in? Uh, yeah, in, in, most of my family now live in Northern Ireland, which is not where I'm from. My okay. mom and my brother moved. My brother moved there for work, had kids. My mom moved there to be close. But um, yeah, I still go back over there occasionally. Do they pick up the fact that you've picked up a Southern accent? Do you have? Do you? Do they tell you that your voice has changed or that your dynamic is different when you speak? Not really, because okay. my voice changes almost instantly when I go back there. Oh, okay. <laughs> so if I, so like, if they were to hear me here, you, there are certain words. One, the, the, the word I get picked up on all the time, and if anyone, I get, I get at least a message every single day it has to telling be me this wrong. No, no. It, no, in anecdotal, it's that I say the word Atlanta wrong. Oh, yeah, you're, you're using too many T's. I'm using too many T's. Yeah. I even have an ER maybe, on the end sometimes. Maybe, maybe even the first A, you know, some of us just go Atlanta. And, and that's great, and, but I, <laughs> it would be weird if I said it that way. Sure. It would be really... That would be appropriation. Exactly, and I said, I'm like, you know, I, I think it would be strange. Like, if, if an American was in a... In living in London and mm -hmm. speaking the way they do, but would say London every time they say London, that would be weird. Yeah. So I'm going to stick to the saying it the way I do, as I say everything else. I um, like that. I like that you're aware, though. Uh, you oh, know, trust me. Sure. I've been sitting here the entire time thinking, don't go into the whole Madonna thing. You know how Madonna has this British accent now. I just don't want to slip into having some British vernacular myself because it'll happen sometimes. But yeah, there are certain words that you I can't say full English because you wouldn't understand like they don't make sense mm. the uh, NFL team here when it's pronounced so, I, so the, my job uh, so I'm actually a producer at CNN mm -hmm. I'm not a reporter but uh, half our team is in London half our team is here and when Atlanta's Atlanta when, when our team is, is in the show <laughs> our London based anchors would say the Atlanta Falcons oh now 
that's I can't say that yeah. here because that's just weird. But I can still say falcons with an English accent. Okay. You know? So it's like you, it's the certain words and the the vocabulary is incredibly different. You know, I don't say you know the boot of my car and I don't say the pavement. I say sidewalk. There's there's tons of words. Have you stopped using the loo? Oh gosh, yeah. I, I don't think I still. I haven't, you mean as a word? Or <laughs> well, that's what I mean. I still yes. Use it. I, I haven't no, said I, it. Yeah, I, it's uh, my vocabulary. But but when I'm back in England, and I work with a lot of English people too. Yeah, it's it, I do snap back. But certainly there is American to my accent, which you probably don't hear listening to this. But to someone who has known me in England, I definitely sound different. We're with Will Edmonds, who is the va- the face and the voice and the behind the scenes, the 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 the, the cartoon making. Are you? A, is this a one man show? No, it's so I um I it started um I, I I do the research, I write the stories, I produce it all. Um, I have a close friend who is my camera guy. The right. two of us go out there. Well, I tell you what, I'm going to take a quick break because we've got to hit a news break real quick on America One Radio and come back. I want you to tell me who all is behind the scenes on Anecdotal Atlanta as well. All right. We're with Will Edmonds, the face and voice of Anecdotal Atlanta and so much more. Take the Ron Show wherever you go. Download the America One Radio app to your smartphone and listen on the go. Or in traffic wishing you were on the go. The Ron Show on America One Radio. Welcome back. Second half of The Ron Show. We are joined by Kennesaw State professor, CNN producer, and the face and voice of Anecdotal Atlanta, Will Edmonds. Thanks for coming down to my neck of the... Well, actually, you live not far from me in Old Fourth Ward, right? I could have walked here. It was a little bit of rain, so I chose the uh, American way of driving one mile. (laughs) You know, it's funny. There was a, a tweet earlier today. I think the Atlanta Journal-Constitution uh, was looking for some submissions for a piece, uh, and I saw it on Twitter. They were asking, like, how do you solve Atlanta's traffic problem? And that's one of them, right? That is one of them. Like, everybody's kind of poo-pooing the idea of the streetcar extension, but give me that streetcar so I can take it to the Murder Kroger, right? I'm sure you've done something on Murder Kroger, right? And that story. Yeah, so I could take the streetcar to Ponds or the Murder Kroger to get my groceries and come back on the streetcar on a day like this or when the weather's really bad or cold and I don't feel like walking the Beltline. I, I don't mind taking a backpack and a bike down to Kroger, but on a, on a cold weather day or a rainy day, I'm not going to do that. The streetcar would be fantastic. I think uh, a vast streetcar network would take yeah. some cars off the roads and would help with traffic and... Well, the problem with the streetcar, I mean, public transport has to go from where people live to where people want to be. And it, and it doesn't, doesn't right now. do that. Yeah, that's, well, and that's, that's why the streetcar right now in its current form, it does like a figure eight between areas of Atlanta that don't make any sense right yeah. now. But it will. I mean, I, I have taken back. Uh, Taylor Swift was in town recently. I had friends visiting from South Carolina, and they asked, how do we get to the venue? What's the best way to park? And I just told them, I said, you can park in my building for free and take a two-block walk to the streetcar. It'll dump you right off two mm-hmm. blocks from the venue. And that's when it does sort of pay off. If there's a United match or a Hawks game or the Falcons are playing, Falcons, Falcons are playing. We won't say that again. I can, uh, <laughs> I can take the streetcar because I only live two blocks from it, and right now it's still free, so anyway. Uh, so we were talking about the behind-the-scenes staffing at Anecdotal Atlanta. So folks really only get to see you, and you're not just setting up a tripod and, and knocking this out on your own, although you do a lot of the behind-the-scenes work, the graphics and the all cartooning the editing, and all that. Sure. Yeah. So it's interesting because as I was starting, I thought it would just be me, mm-hmm. and I was going to just do it on a tripod. Mm-hmm. And um, there was one of the very first stories. It was about the fire at the Ellis Hotel. Okay. You know that story? I haven't. Caught that uh, one. It was one of the the um, uh, before nine eleven. It was the largest tragedy in American history in like a 
high rise or something like that. Lots okay. of people died. And um, that story involved a very specific camera move that I needed to do where I was, it looked like I was taking, uh, developing a picture and pulling it up. And I was like, I, I need someone to help me. And I texted one of my friends who was out. I was like, hey, when you get home, can you stop by and like help me just film this one thing? Mm-hmm. And then one of my good friends, just coincidentally that day, had um, broken up with his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And I saw him. And I was like, hey, you, you want to help me with this? He's like, oh, yeah. In college, I love filming like my friend's skits and stuff. And I'm like, all mm-hmm. in. I was like, so the time was kind of perfect. And he, um, he's been like it completely in on it so now you know we get we get together beforehand and we sort of plan out the shoots although increasingly less so because we find we don't until you get somewhere you don't know mm-hmm. but we'll go through it and um yeah it's uh, it's become a two-person team there has been other people that have come aboard and and hopefully will be involved again in the future but for mm-hmm. the most part it's the two of us someone has just come on board um actually uh, an old friend of jeremy my um my partner in this project um he ca- he's come on board because he wants to work on monetizing this thing and selling sponsorships and yeah. being involved in all that stuff. Yeah. And um, and again, he's sort of come on board working for free with the understanding that hopefully one day this becomes a valid business and we want to expand and, and do bigger things. So, But basically, um, Jeremy and I will go out, scope out the location, film it. We, um, we have a drone. Again, like I said, the timing on that was perfect. Timing, just as I started this thing, um, I was at my friend's place in Buckhead and there was um, an armed robbery going on at a jewelry store near his house. And my friend was like, oh, I've just got this, I, I have this drone I never use. I'm going to fly up and, and fly over and see if I can see anything. And he ended up, he didn't, but he, he was t- telling me about this drone that he has that he never uses. And I just asked him, hey, can I borrow it? And he goes, why don't you have it? And I'll let you know when I need it. Oh, okay. So he just gave me this drone. And, and I've had to give it back. I just got it back from him last week. You know, when he needs it, he needs it. And I'll take it to his place. But, you know, you know the timing was just perfect that, like, you know, Jeremy, you know, became available and at the exact moment where I needed a camera guy, my friend had this drone that he talked about at the exact moment I needed a drone and we used it all the time. So mm-hmm. it's it's kind of, um, I believe when you're doing something you're supposed to be doing, the universe sort of like falls into place. Provides you, you the know? tools, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's pretty fascinating. Uh, and maybe the universe is telling me in in this realm where I, I podcast this show, I've had to spend a lot of money to, to get it off. And the monetizing is one of those things where I've just put it on the back burner yes. and have yet to really get to it and wrap my mind around it. Uh, I could, I should. I, I, I A little bit like you, like I can do the graphics, I can put together the, the, the pitch sheets and I worked in broadcasting. So I know the the sales, I, I just haven't really had the time to do it, honestly. Yeah, but. me too. It's it, it's something that I think if you're in the creative sphere, it's yeah. very unnatural. Yeah. And that's why there are sales teams. I was just going to yeah. ask you, uh, do you find yourself like thinking, I need, to, I need to figure out how to monetize this. I need to work on that. I just don't feel like doing that. And you're more juiced yeah. to do the creative than the... So much more juiced. I, I yeah. find myself constantly thinking about ways to tell stories and angles and, and like have... You know, we did a story recently. It was about all the names of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. This was a fun one. That's a good one. And I, in my head, I couldn't see what it looked like. And I was actually going to do it on a green screen and do graphics and stuff. And I was going for a run. And then I thought I wouldn't. I was, and then I thought, oh, wouldn't it be cool if they like appeared in like on steps? And I was like, where are some cool steps? I was like, oh, Piedmont Park has those cool steps. Mm-hmm. And so these are just like that's what is going in my mind constantly. Is sort of like when I have a problem, like I can't see what a story looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, it's on my mind constantly. I don't think about what ads to sell or, you know, selling merch. But uh, Zach, 
who uh, we're meeting with on Sunday uh, again. He's uh, he's all about that. Mm-hmm. So he wants to go in and he wants to sort of be the uh, money side of this business and because yeah, and some people are that. wired for it and some people aren't and you just sometimes want to let the people who exactly. aren't do it yeah you know? i completely agree yeah i'm not comfortable with it I'm, I'm a terrible salesman so i used to be a tennis coach that was uh, my previous Jeez, career is there anything you don't do well i tell you you mentioned three jobs i have four jobs okay i host trivia nights as well yes that's, that's right um currently at brew dogs on the belt line tuesday night 7 p.m <laughs> come out there it's it's a fun time i really enjoy it um, so the CNN job, the serious job, that's, I do that job cause it pays the bills. It's my, you know, the nine sure. to five, right. I teach at uh, Kennesaw state university cause that sort of fulfills my sort of desire to, uh, I guess give something back or it's like, uh, it's quite rewarding, but you don't do it for free. I don't do it for free. <laughs> if they <laughs> didn't pay me, I probably wouldn't notice. It's not, you, I, don't do, I don't do it for the money. I do it cause it's quite fun and rewarding. Okay. okay. Um, I do anecdotal because it's like my passion and yeah. it's like the, my create, I need like the, it's my creative outlet for all this stuff. Mm. And trivia is just fun. Again, I, you know, yeah. that, I get paid to do that, but that is just to me. Plus you're, 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 you're going to eat. Right? You're going to eat while you're there because the, I, you I've, know I've done the trivia nights. You don't That's have time funny. to eat. I, I haven't. You don't have I time never to eat? Do, no, I do have time to eat and I should. I've been uh, on this sort of very unhealthy wild weight loss journey this year uh-huh. and I've been avoiding it. But I was actually thinking about this today because I, I was going to go there after this and do some work and I was going to be like, hey, I didn't get any food when I worked here the other night. Can I, can I have a free right. lunch? Yeah. But uh, no, it's, um, it's so yeah, four jobs. It's a lot of fun. But yes, when I was a tennis coach, um, I would tell parents, you know, they're like, what do I need? I was like, you need your kid just to go play. Don't pay for a lesson once a week. They need to be putting in all the hours the other time. Mm-hmm. You know, when they come to me for tennis rackets, I'm like, don't get the most expensive racket. Get, you know, like mm-hmm. you'll get there eventually. So I was, always, I, I asked someone who relied on selling lessons and selling stuff. Uh-huh. I, I, I talked myself out of sales all the time because it, it just wasn't natural to me. I'm not a salesperson. I'm it's, a storyteller. Yeah. That's how I feel. Well, it's pretty wild that I, I hear you talk about this. I had lunch with uh, a dear radio friend uh, yesterday, and we were talking about diversification in this era because radio's not as popular as it used to be. And mm. even now, while it still is a living for a small handful of people who are still in it, 10 years from now, five years from now, three years, that's not even a guarantee. So we talked about diversification and what my life was like getting out of radio and diving into real estate. And that's when I realized, you know, I like helping people buy and sell homes. I like the creativity part behind it because I can do the social media and the video and all that stuff and staging. I enjoy that. The helping someone buy their first home, it's something that gives me goosebumps. I know that, you know, home ownership is such an important part of your personal and familial and generational wealth. And that's a large part of like the problem with the wealth gap between white and black Americans. So I'm very passionate about all of that stuff. It's the commission breath that I don't have you know I'm not chasing after the money like the money's good when it's there but it's not something I'm chasing after and in the real estate industry there's a lot of that it's very you know turnkey make the money get the sale cold call people that don't want to hear from and I'm just not about that I'm not wired I'm more wired for the creative and the 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 the, the personal if that makes sense yeah I'm the same way well, you've got uh, four jobs to uh, complete that mission. So uh, <laughs> if you haven't found it yet, it looks like you're cobbling it together in some respects. Yeah, the goal, the goal, honestly, I would love for Anecdotal to be a full-time job and not just Atlanta. Um, I was going to ask you if you thought about franchising this yes. to other cities. So the, 
the, the goal is once it's financially viable in one city, if we've worked out what that is, um, I know that actually real estate companies are the companies that have come after me talking about sponsorship deals and things like that. And I haven't quite worked out that yet. Mm -hmm. But if there's a way that this works, this could work in any city. Mm -hmm. Every city's got or states, of some states, or states yeah, or anything like it will work anywhere. Um, the other thing I, I plan on doing is. Um, I want to launch something called Anecdotal Everything, which is less history-based and more just like interesting sh short stories about anything that would be sort of a YouTube, more right. more of a green screen thing. I wouldn't be able to go everywhere. But yes, I have large aspirations for this because um, I've never worked on anything before where, with the exception of people that have an issue with my face and my voice, <laughs> people are overwhelmingly positive about this is a really cool thing. It is. Um, and I'm really proud of it. And I took months before, I had the idea, and it was like three months before I released the first one because I kept testing and testing and making sure I get the music. Like I wanted to make sure I had music and animations that didn't, um, that would work for stories, you know, about you know, fun stuff about music industry, stories about, you know, proper history where mm -hmm. you've got problematic, you know, segregation, racial history stuff. I need and we're suppressing that in this country. It seems yeah, that there's so, a movement to do that. Yeah, and so telling those stories, and I tell you, that this is something actually I want to mention. I do get, it, it, it's a problem that I have an English accent doing local Southern history. However, sure. it does allow me to do stories about, let's say, the Atlanta-Berlin Wall without having a voice that sounds like the oppressors from that time, right? I, see. I don't sound like a white Southern mm -hmm. uh, plantation owner, mm -hmm. you know? And so it allows me to be somewhat divorced from that history where I can, I can tell it and not feel like I'm on one side of it. That's I can true. Speak. So, so it's, it's a blessing in that respect. Like you have an international view of a, yes, of a exactly. local I have domestic. A, exactly. Yeah. So, so the bigger stories, stuff like that, I do have the international voice. Mm -hmm. And also it is a good thing in the sense that, you know, the, the sort of BBC English um, <laughs> yes. is, is, is sort of given credibility, yes. whether it's deserved or not. That's right. Um, that it just sort of give it authority. So I'm lucky in that respect. So, so yes, I do get messages very frequently criticizing me for for being where I'm from but but they're the minority I right. have the vast majority are very positive and it's a good thing well, I was going to ask you you are also a professor at Kennesaw State University you teach uh, classes on like sports marketing and sports broadcasting sports broadcasting and uh, sports, well, sports history. history yeah uh, sports marketing and totally that that's back to the commission Brett. yes I would be uh, terrible at yeah, that yeah same here uh, I was going to ask you this though being someone who is an educator and also doing this sort of uh, social media history nugget, are you stumbling into a way that teaches history that actually is sticky, that actually sticks to folks in ways that maybe public school and even collegiate educators aren't really that's exactly, evolving to? That's exactly what I... Okay, that, that, that's the goal, right? Is that I've always been fascinated by history, but history is long and it's boring and it's names and it's dates yeah. and it's stuff... And so my goal is to not to teach you everything mm -hmm. is to make you interested to be like, and, and I get, I get so many messages going, Oh wow. I want to know more about that. And, and that's the goal is to make people interested in history. Cause again, getting back to when I was a tennis coach, um, I used to actually uh, teach seminars on how to teach tennis. I guess I've always been into educating. That's mm -hmm. been my thing. And I would always say, uh, when I, would uh, be teaching tennis coaches, what is the one goal of a tennis lesson? 
and people would say, you know, give a multitude of answers on sort of basics, you know, is it balance, is it hand-eye coordination? I was like, no, it's none of those things. The only goal of giving a tennis lesson is to make them want to come back next time. Mm. Or else it's worthless. You give the best lesson in the world, if they don't want to come back, it's worthless. The only way you can... Uh, make someone oh, make someone learn what makes someone want to learn is to make them enjoy it and mm-hmm. make them want to come back they get, felt like wow this was fun and so with this with the anecdotal atlanta project or anecdotal anything project it's making them think oh wow that was cool i'd love to know more about that i wonder what else was in that building i wonder yeah. what else this person did and so yes uh, to use a tech term a, a uh, disrupting history trying to make history, like I said, with that, that walking tour, what if we got rid of everything that the tour guide's saying and just stick to what the elderly gentleman who had a couple of interesting stories is, what if that was history? Right. And uh, I think it is sticking. And I do find that people that when they come up to me, they, they do remember the stories and they tell me these things. And they, you know, I love it when people tell me that, um, oh, I've told all my friends this story or I had some family in town. I took them to some of the places you did because it's memorable. It's, yeah. You can remember, oh, that's all I need to know is that this one thing happened here. We're on with Will Edmonds, who is the face and the voice and a lot of the behind the scenes for the Instagram and TikTok uh, social media channel, Anecdotal Atlanta. Fantastic follow. Got a few more minutes. We're going to take a break and come back with him and wrap it up. Final segment of the Ron Show, we're with Will Edmonds, the face and voice of Anecdotal Atlanta. Also, Kennesaw State professor, uh, CNN producer, trivia night as well at, uh, what is it, the Brewdog, you said? Brewdog, Tuesday night, 7 p.m. So, okay, those are the four jobs, right? Currently. Okay. Uh, has this uh, Anecdotal Atlanta experience opened any doors for you that you are surprised to hear from? Absolutely. So, um, the coolest one that happened was... Um, Georgia Tech reached out to me. It was a professor there that said there it was a history class, and the project that the, the big sort of year-long project of theirs was to do a short story about something in Atlanta, and they and um, they asked me to come in and do a guest lecture. I couldn't have got into Georgia Tech. Yeah, you know, like that. I mean, I'm I'm maybe an associate pro, uh, adjunct professor, but. Georgia Tech is a different level, right? Yeah. So to come in and be a guest lecturer at Georgia Tech for all these students. And, and she started the class. This, this was really cool. You'll appreciate this as, as a creator. Um, she started by saying, you'll remember in your syllabus the TikTok account you were asked to follow. And I'm like, my TikTok account is on a syllabus at Georgia Tech? <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. That's crazy, right? Like that, that I fun. thought that was so neat. And uh, that was a really cool experience. But there's lots of things. But I would say it has... Um, I've read a lot about Atlanta. I've done a lot of tours. But now going and visiting so many places that I've heard of and getting access. Recently, the Candler Building, uh, you know, Fulham mm-hmm. the Candler Building, incredible downtown building. We've done actually three stories about there because it's got this great you, history. You had the, the Coke Vault, right? The Coke Vault. Yeah. Well, they reached out to me and were like, hey, we would love you to do more. Do you want access to anything you want? And I was like, I'd love to, yeah, give us, and so, and they also, not only did they give us tours to everything and, you know, told us all these stories and said what we could film and took us behind the scenes, they also gave us this uh, pamphlet was they found when they were renovating it, they found there's these like 110 year old brochures that were written as the building was built. Old sort of oh, parchment paper. And they're wow. like, you can have a copy. And I was like, are you wow. sure? There's a story in there that I can't tell in anecdotal. Do you want a sad story on your podcast? Uh, no. Sure. DM me for the story. Oh, yeah, there we go. There we go. <laughs> but I read that. I was like, oh, that's a strong story, but that's just, that's a bummer. Too dour. Yeah, too dour. Uh, do you have folks? Uh, give you submissions or do you seek submissions from folks that might have some interesting so how does that work I've had I, and I get this pretty much every day is someone saying hey you should do a story on this right. the assumption is that 
I, I, I think, I don't know if it's that people don't really understand that I'm not just sort of doing the basic history that I'm digging down and trying to find the story behind. Like, mm-hmm. like it's saying, oh, you know, you should do the Atlanta airport, you know, the racetrack. Well, that's fine, but like it takes time to find the cool story there. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, yeah, do you, do you know anything about it? Like, is there a cool story there? Is there an, you know, trying to find the angle, trying to find the, make, the thing that makes things interesting. Like when the Candler building said, oh, we've got this vault downstairs. I'm that, I, I was like, oh, that's cool. And then they showed me and I was like, wait, I have to go in through the kitchen to get to it. I was like, yeah. oh, that's cool. Yeah. The fact you have to go through the kitchen is interesting. So there has to be that angle that sort of makes it memorable and interesting. So I do get a lot of submissions, but a lot of them are just sort of asking me if I can cover a certain place that they know or like without telling me what the story is. And then I have to go and, and try and find it. And it's hard to look for stories. You end up just... Stumbling Here's the interesting them, thing. Yeah. And this sums up, um, as we're getting towards the end, this is a good summary right. of, of where... History is maybe not good at storytelling. You know those big coffee table books, Atlanta Now and Then. Oh yeah, I have one. You have one. Mm-hmm. Now Atlanta Now and Then is 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 not great. Not not for any fault of the publishers, but in the Atlanta has just destroyed every building. Yeah. So like most cities, you see the old building, then surrounded by new buildings. Something new, yeah. It's uh, but it's just it's just a picture of a street, and then there's no nothing there. But anyway, these books typically have a large picture on one side, and on the other, and this the other side they'll have text about everything. Yeah. And then what you'll find on these is typically in a box within that, in another color, there'll be a short story. A nugget. A nugget. The best part. The best part. And that and that's and that's exactly <laughs> it. And I found I'm like, gosh, you're it's backwards. Yeah. We're we're teaching the everything and sort of like just putting in the corner. Oh, and and by the way, Teddy Roosevelt once, you know, shot a deer here and like <laughs> and carried it on his back for the town folk and cut it up in front of people and there was a party and, oh and fireworks went off for the first time. Like that's the story, not about oh it was built in this year by this person and blah blah blah. You know, like and and I find that finding the nugget and, mm-hmm. and so what I basically do, I just have a stack of books I'm reading. And I just, I, sometimes I'll have two nuggets on a page. Sometimes I'll get through a whole book with nothing. A book I'm currently reading, I tell, I tell you two cool things that have happened to me. Right. That, again, not a religious person, but I do believe in fate. Right. So I told you the camera guy came in, the drone came in. I was working on one story. It was called The, um, the Real History of Buckhead. Now, I was going to do yes. the story that I'd been told, and you probably had, is that a guy, Irby, Henry Irby, killed a buck. Yeah. Put its head on a spike outside his tavern. Everyone said, hey, that's the buck's head. That's how it became Buckhead. Yeah. Well, it, as I was, re- was going to do that story, as I'm researching, I find this article by the Buckhead Preservation Society saying, actually, none of that's true. He didn't shoot the um, buck. It wasn't outside his tavern, and it wasn't even a tavern. And I'm like, oh, that's the story. The story yeah. is that we've got it all wrong. And yeah. the guy that had, written, that had done the research was the head of the Buckhead Preservation Society or History Society. I apologize if I've got your title wrong. A guy called... Uh, Wright Mitchell. As I'm writing this story, I see an alert on my phone. Wright Mitchell liked your story. I'm like, well, that's a weird name. That can't yeah. be. And I click on it. I'm like, oh, that's the same guy. And I just, I wrote to him. I was like, hey. And I'd actually mentioned him in my story because mm-hmm. because he had done all the research. I was like, this guy has uncovered the truth. And I was like, hey, I'm 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 writing about you this week. Can I, you know? And it, we exchanged numbers. And and he's been incredibly helpful. He's helped me with stories, and uh, he's he's uh, connected me with the Atlanta History Center, which has allowed me to film in there. And he's been great. And it was just like one of those things that, wait, you, you're on my laptop and on my phone at the same time. That's, That's just fantastic. a Christmas. And then um, I, I was writing another story about all the names of Atlanta. I was talking to someone. Um, Archive Atlanta is another um, mm-hmm. podcast and and whatnot. And Victoria, we become friends. She put me in contact with this author, Mark. Oh no, I've forgotten his last name. I apologise. <laughs> well, anyway, he um, he helped. Me, he's helped me write the story. I credit him in the video, and um, 
I, I realized when I recognized his name as I'm talking to him, I'm like, oh, I'm reading your book right now. <laughs> so it's kind of cool that like the book, people, the books I'm reading and the people that are writing these articles yeah. now I've become in contact with. And it's kind of like a cool community of sort of Atlanta history people that help each other and that I've found so far it's been very helpful. And I would much rather sit down and uh, listen to you guys talk on a roundtable discussion or something like that than sit in some boring history class. Uh, right. You know, I, I think that would be fascinating. Will Edmonds, what a fantastic conversation. I would love to stay in touch with you and I look forward to seeing more of your work on Anecdotal Atlanta. Again, on Instagram, TikTok, and coming to YouTube Shorts. Your t- YouTube Shorts be coming to you soon. Every there. Sunday, I try and release an episode. Every Sunday around, I think, 9 a.m. episodes. And you mentioned there was over 40. We actually filmed our 50th episode hey. yesterday. 49 will release on Sunday. All right. It's a salacious one. It's called um, Ground Zero for the Sexual Revolution. <laughs> if that's a, well, a teaser. There's a Which, unfortunately, I think the algorithms on TikTok and Instagram will kick out and no one will get to see it because you have words in there like that. And then the 50th one will probably be one about um, the term Grand Slam in sports actually originated here in Atlanta. Awesome. Yeah. Everything, everything is in Atlanta. Right. Everything comes back that's in. That's right. Yeah. All right. Will Edmonds, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you for joining the Ron Show. Thank you. This has been fantastic.